Good evening. You're listening to WNUR 89.3 FM HD1 Evanston, Chicago. I'm Daniel Gross, and this is WNUR News at 6. Tonight, Mina hosted UCLA professor Dr. Nu Judah as a guest speaker, behind the scenes with the creators of Eileen and Winter Flues and Colds. Those stories and more coming up from Northwestern University. This is WNUR News at 6. The Middle East North African Studies Program hosted a speaker series, Palestine in Context. Dr. Noor Judah from UCLA shared anecdotes about the Palestinian people on Friday. Erica Schmidt takes the story. Today, Dr. Judah will put Palestine in context beyond the current death and destruction to teach us about Palestine lives and how Palestine lives. So thank you so much for coming to Northwestern. University Hall filled with about 30 people Friday afternoon for Middle Eastern North African Studies Palestine in Context speaker series. UCLA professor Dr. Noor Joda shared personal anecdotes about her family's experiences in Gaza, then opened the floor for the audience to ask questions. I wish I'd learned about Palestine's history explicitly and not just in reference to the formation of the Israeli state. I wish I had known how vibrant Palestinian civil society was and is and how much they built and worked to advocate for themselves on a global scale. I wish I had known that southern Palestine used to refer to Khalil, Hebron, as well as Gaza. Interim Director of MENA Studies, Wendy Perlman, explained how the Palestine 101 series felt especially necessary to bring to campus when the war in Gaza started. After October 7th, with Hamas's attack on Israel and Israel's subsequent war on the Gaza Strip, there's been a surge of interest in Israel and in Palestine and wanting to learn more. So we hope that we would have a series of events bringing in experts to talk about Palestine in a way that could fill in some of those gaps and and empower students with the knowledge and the tools they need to go out and follow the news on their own. Amid the ongoing war in Gaza, the series navigates the history, politics, and culture of Palestine. Less knowledgeable students are the target audience. The only way to understand these types of events is to get more background. And we are a university. What we specialize in is learning, is asking difficult questions, is is having discussions together, that learning is never bad. So we hope that bringing in programming and giving students this chance to learn will only empower them with the tools they need to engage in informed, sensitive, respectful conversations. Third-year PhD candidate Israr Shamik attended the event. She said that as a graduate student currently teaching a class, she does not talk directly about Palestine in her classroom. However, she encourages her students to attend Mina's programming to learn more. You know, I really, really appreciate Mina for organizing these events because not only does it bridge those gaps in undergraduates training, but also because of the censorship on campus. Perlman said Mina chose Dr. Joda partially due to her background and expertise on the subject of Palestine as a Palestinian American herself. We looked around and, and Northwestern has a real lack of Arab faculty in general and Palestinian faculty in particular. So it was important for us also to bring in 
professors of Palestinian or Palestinian American background. So our students can hear from someone who has that life experience and that, that, that personal background, as well as a scholarly expertise on these topics. Shamik said she enjoyed the conversation, especially because... There hasn't been much space for personal narratives, and I appreciate the fact that it's not just a white person relating personal narratives of indigenous Palestinians. It is a Palestinian. Dr. Joda, what would be the one thing you would hope students took from your talk at Northwestern? Palestine and Palestinians deserve our attention even in moments where they are not being killed, and that the story of Palestine is one characterized by much more than loss. It's characterized by creativity and innovation and survival, and that is as much a part of our story as the death and destruction that we witness on our news screens, and that we have to understand that for there to be destruction, you have to have something to destroy, which means you have to have built something. And everything that we're watching be destroyed is a society and a community that's been built over decades. Looking ahead, Mina's Palestine in Context series will continue to spotlight Palestinian history, politics, and culture throughout the winter. We don't think that Palestine in Context series is the only thing that should be done at Northwestern. It's what we've been able to do as a part of our, our regular Mina mission, but we hope that there is more and this is the, the start of, of much larger conversations on campus. From WNUR News, I'm Erica Schmidt. The movie Eileen premiered in theaters this December, but WNUR News' Allison Rauch was able to attend an advanced screening and Q&A with the creators. Here she is with more. Please be advised that this story contains mentions of topics some listeners may find disturbing. Eileen hit theaters for a limited release on December 1st, 2023, before expanding nationwide a week later. The film tells the story of a young secretary at a boys' prison in Massachusetts in the 1960s who becomes obsessed with a new co-worker. Thomason McKenzie and Anne Hathaway star. It is based on the novel by Otessa Moshfeg and directed by William Oldroyd. Prisoners don't play for a young lady. You got a big life ahead of you, I'm sure. I'm just kind of average, I think. Critical reviews have been generally positive. The project carried with it a number of complexities, adapting a book to a movie for starters. And then there's the nature of the book itself. WNUR News was invited to attend an advanced screening and panel with the creators for college journalists in November. Director William Oldroyd spoke about the draw of the story. When I read Otessa's book, or Eileen, it stuck out because of this central character of Eileen. Um, because I felt like I hadn't met such an original and interesting, complex, uh, complicated character. Eileen is certainly complicated. I was expecting something pretty weird and, like, messed up, and I felt like that's what it was. That's Caitlin Riley, a senior studying communication studies. Riley saw the movie at a screening on campus. It was definitely shocking and, like, a good movie to see with other people because we were all, like, gasping and screaming and a very, like, reactionary movie. There's plenty to react to. 
Eileen's dull, repetitive life is underscored by a growing discontent. Viewers watch as she fantasizes about having sex in public and of killing herself and her father. And that's not even mentioning the movie's twist, which comes like that of a knife. It is a crazy story. I was having a great time reading it. And when I put it down, my reaction was, oh, that was that was pretty messed up. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't my favorite book, but objectively, I thought it was good and an interesting character study. That's Sky Tarshis, a fourth year studying creative writing and music. Tarshis has read the book Eileen, but has not yet seen the movie. They said that although the story is disturbing, there's something gratifying about that provocativeness. I think those are desires and traits that we all have and have suppressed to a certain degree. And so to see that like exaggerated and made grotesque is also telling, it's reflecting something back at us, even if it's not 100% accurate. Eileen is, at its core, a film about desire. Eileen's growing obsession with her older coworker Rebecca, teeters between friendship, lust, and love, allowing the movie to reach its dramatic peak. In the panel, Moshfeg said that the filmmakers put a lot of care into how this relationship played out. We were all very interested in the gray area between platonic and romantic, between... Um, real and imaginary there there were a lot of blurred lines you know we knew that we were telling a love story but it wasn't a typical love story where you know two people fall in love and then they get together it was really about um infatuation and manipulation riley says she feels the portrayal of the two women was done well it didn't really feel like it fetishized them but it felt like the other characters in the movie did that scene where they were dancing in the bar, like out in public and like very kind of intimately dancing, it kind of felt like the men were more like, ooh, rather than being offended or disgusted by it. So I don't know, I feel like it just shows that they didn't really take queer relationships. Like seriously, it was more just like a show-offy thing. Tarsha says that Eileen and Rebecca's relationship touches on deeper societal beliefs about women and sexuality. I think... Even women who don't identify as gay are thinking about women's bodies a lot because of beauty standards and whatnot. And so I appreciate that it kind of toes the line between thinking about women as an object because of patriarchy, beauty standards, etc. And also like w wanting women sexually and not knowing how to put it into words. Eileen was Moshfeg's debut novel and the first to be made into a film. But Moshfeg owes much of her recent online fame to My Year of Rest and Relaxation, a novel about a similarly disturbed young woman who resolves to sleep for a year with the help of drugs. During the panel, Moshfeg said that she has mixed feelings about how her work is received online, especially by young women. I guess I have two thoughts about it. One is the positive, and that's that I'm so honored that a younger generation of readers is finding my work and finding it valuable enough to talk about it over the internet like that's fantastic i also am extremely scared of the internet in general sometimes i worry about young people who identify with being mentally unwell and the glamour that is associated with that riley and tarshis have both read my year of rest and relaxation both also seem to have mixed feelings about this aspect of Moshveg's work. So I think there is slash was a trend 
of young women, particularly like white upper middle class women being like, oh, well, everything sucks. So let me just smoke my cigarette and look wistfully out the window. But I also think that interpretation might miss the point a little bit because I think the book is once you get to the end at least it's like against apathy with Eileen too like the feelings she was feeling were normal just like the lengths she went to were what most people wouldn't do I feel like both stories are relatable to like the emotions the characters feel but maybe not the actions that they take Eileen is now available to stream on Google Play Amazon Prime Video and YouTube for WNUR News, I'm Allison Rauch. As the weather turns colder and the pandemic continues, students from coast to coast are grappling with long illnesses that develop from flus and colds. Reporter Mika Ellison has a story on secondary infections in college students. It starts with a cough. <coughs> Sorry, oh my God. Maybe it's just the flu or something more serious like COVID. Either way, if you're a college student, it interferes with your plan. The first week was actually awful because it was finals week. And I was just like, I could not sleep because I was just like coughing all night. But then if you're unlucky, it escalates to something more serious. The cough refuses to go away and your symptoms change or get worse. You feel kind of like strung out to be honest. <laughs> like you just feel like really weird and bad and you can't kind of can't hear anything either. And worst of all, those symptoms can linger, sometimes for weeks. I'm talking about secondary infections, an often misunderstood phenomenon that plagues college students from coast to coast. It can result in a week-long cold turning into a three-month revolving door of stuffy noses and phlegmy coughs. A secondary infection is a common term used for people who have an infection after they have a primary infection. So usually it's that you have a cold or viral illness and then you develop a secondary infection, which is thought to primarily usually be bacterial. That was Dr. Yanni Katsagodakis, an emergency pediatrician. He says some of the most common secondary infections he sees include pneumonia, ear infections, and sinus infections. Those varieties abound among college students as well. Medill sophomore Lily Shen developed bronchitis after a finals week illness. I got it like finals week. So actually that's way longer than three weeks ago. That's like six weeks ago, yeah. I think. Um, this is my first time having bronchitis, so I'm losing my bronchogenity. <laughs> but overall the experience has been pretty terrible. During winter quarter, it can feel as if every third person has a cough or a sinus infection. Dr. Katsagodakis explained why secondary illnesses may not be contagious, but instead develop when your immune system is already down due to factors like another illness, which could explain their prevalence in the colder months at Northwestern. Usually the primary infection is what's contagious and the secondary infection, at least in the examples I just gave you, are usually bacteria that you usually have that are within your system, like in your nasopharynx, in your ear, that usually are kept under control and aren't causing you to have any symptoms. But when you, your body is fighting off a viral infection, the flu, RSV, COVID, your body is fighting off that infection and is preoccupied with that infection. And then there's debris and other things related to that infection. And so the bacteria that are normally there cause you to have another infection. College students cited a number of reasons for succumbing to infections. School of Communications junior Anne-Sophie Lacombe-Garcia 
experienced two secondary infections in a row. I had a cold and then I never treated it. I was in three shows and so I just didn't go, I didn't treat myself. Like I just lived off Dayquil, turned into bronchitis from bronchitis and turned into pneumonia. She says the symptoms of bronchitis were persistent and painful and could prevent her from performing. With bronchitis, I remember specifically it feeling like I was like coughing up my lungs. Like it hurt to cough because yeah. I could feel my lungs shaking, mm -hmm. but I was really tired all the time yeah. and it didn't matter what I did to get better. Allison McLaughlin, a senior from California Polytechnic State University in San Luis Obispo, suffered from sinus infections when they were in middle school. I'll probably get like two or three a year, but when I was in like middle school and high school, I was getting like, I swear it was like every other month I would have like a two or three weeks long sinus infection and it was like miserable. The biggest thing that I deal with is like a lack of sleep because when I go to sleep I can't breathe through my nose so then I breathe through my mouth and then my throat hurts and it's kind of like very disruptive to sleep so I'm kind of like walking around in a daze. They also observed college students' propensity for sickness. Everyone's just sick for the first like for just months at a time like in my sophomore year, I moved into an apartment and my roommates and I were all sick for like the entire first quarter. Like we didn't get better until we went home for winter break. College students are often overworked and live in close quarters during their early years. Those stressors can weaken the immune system and could contribute to a higher likelihood of developing a secondary infection, such as pneumonia or bronchitis. School of Communication sophomore, Ian Castrocani, got hit with a particularly nasty string of sicknesses starting when he developed a cough during Thanksgiving break. He initially dismissed it. So I was like, ah, it's just left over from COVID, it's fine. But then it started getting, like, I have this crackle, they called it, in my lungs. After going to urgent care, he received a prescription for antibiotics, an inhaler, and the diagnosis of bronchitis. Students and other patients with bronchitis can wait until the cough has lingered for weeks to see a doctor, and often assume the infection is just a part of the original illness. Then I went back to school, and I just had the cough again. Um, and I was like, uh, I guess I just still have bronchitis. So when I got home for break, I went back to the doctor and they to me and said that I had a sinus infection this time because they looked at the back of my throat or whatever and they saw a lot of um, nasal drip or whatever it is, gross. And so I was put on antibiotics for that and um, given a nasal spray. And then the cough, pretty much all the symptoms stayed exactly the same since I was initially told I had bronchitis. So I went back to the doctor and then they said, oh no, it's actually uh, pneumonia, walking pneumonia. So that was unfortunate. And so then I was put back on different antibiotics and I finished those, but I still have the cough. So maybe it's something different now. I don't know. Castro Kenny says he started battling more frequent illnesses starting the fall of his senior year of high school around the time he got COVID for the first time. Research from the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center indicates that COVID is capable of weakening the immune system for long after people recover from it. I've had COVID almost at the exact same time um, for the past three years, like right at Thanksgiving, which is very weird. And since then I've gotten, I don't know if it's related, but since then it's been much easier for me to get sick. Secondary infections are often brushed off as simply an inconvenience, but the effects of illnesses like pneumonia, and the mental and physical toll of an infection can be serious. Like most students that have been saddled with a hard-to-fight infection, Castrocane has been taking it in stride. I have adjusted to being sick, which is good in a way, I guess. Like, I, I hate blowing my nose. I don't know why, but I hate it so much. But I have gotten a lot better at it. And um, I'm just kind of used to not doing as much as I did before. Like, 
yeah, I, I don't go outside in the cold as much. Um, cause when I go outside it immediately, my cough gets worse. So I'm very conscious of not spending too much time outside and stuff like that, which is unfortunate because it sucks to be inside all the time. However, in some cases, the consequences of secondary infections can be life-threatening, especially in conjunction with diseases like COVID. Much like the pandemic itself, students on both sides of the country are grappling with the secondary consequences of a previous problem. For WNUR News, I'm Mika Ellison. (coughs) You need to go home. We're so back, and so is the B-List. Here's Allison Rauch with everyone's favorite weekly pop culture rundown. Welcome to the B-List, your weekly roundup of celebrity mess and pop culture. This week, Golden Globes recap, the college football championship, and the end of the NFL regular season. Last night, the 81st annual Golden Globes was held in Los Angeles. Host Joe Coy was widely criticized online for a series of jokes. Oppenheimer clinched the award for Best Motion Picture Drama, while Poor Things won for comedy. Other award winners included Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon and Emma Stone for Poor Things, as well as Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer and Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers. In sports, tonight is the NCAA College Football Championship game. The Michigan Wolverines will take on the Washington Huskies in Houston. Both teams are undefeated. Whoever wins will bring home the first championship for their school since the 1990s. The game kicks off at 6.30 p.m. CST. Yesterday marked the end of the NFL regular season. The wildcard round begins this weekend. On Saturday, the Cleveland Browns play the Houston Texans and the Miami Dolphins play the Kansas City Chiefs. On Sunday, the Buffalo Bills play the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Green Bay Packers play the Dallas Cowboys, and the Los Angeles Rams play the Detroit Lions. Finally, on Monday, the Philadelphia Eagles play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Baltimore Ravens are the AFC's one seed and earn a bye. The San Francisco 49ers won the NFC's bye. That's all for the B-List this week. Check in next Monday to hear about what happens this week in pop culture. For WNUR News, I'm Allison Rauch. Now for a brief look at the forecast. Watch out, Frosty. Any snowman you build with tonight's snow will likely melt into rain tomorrow. There's a high of 37 during the day tomorrow, and then it'll cool off to 33 on Wednesday. Taking a look into the headlines in Evanston, Chicagoland, and across the nation and globe. Over break, Northwestern football became the Las Vegas Bowl champions, defeating the University of Utah 14-7. The team was led by quarterback Ben Bryant, who threw for 222 yards and two touchdowns, as well as the, the defense, which forced three turnovers. An explosion in Fort Worth, Texas, injured at least 11 people. The blast, which occurred in downtown, still does not have a confirmed source. The National Transportation Safety Board recovered an intact phone that fell from Alaska Airlines Flight 1282. The NTSB also recovered the door plug that detached seven minutes into the flight Friday, which had just taken off in Oregon. Alaska Airlines canceled 170 flights as a result from the incident. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news, updates, and reports, follow us on X at WNUR News and Instagram at WNUR News 89.3.
can listen to these and other WNUR news stories on our website, WNURnews.org. That's WNURnews.org. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Our producer today is Paz Baum. Our reporters are Erica Schmidt, Allison Rauch, and Mika Ellis. I'm Daniel Gross. Catch our next newscast Wednesday, January 10th at 6 p.m. Now, back to scheduled programming.